Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 130, and we are going through chapters 111 through 114 of Rhythm of War. Full disclaimer, by the way, we didn't talk about this before the episode, but we have finished the book for any listeners and readers, and we, we may be dropping a one-liner for next episode, so full disclosure that we have finished the book. I would probably recommend you go finish the book and then come back because there's some things that may slip out for the, the fin. The, anyway, you get it. Paul, how are you? I'm doing great. I think Elliot made a comment in our last series of episodes that if you've read this far and you haven't finished the book, then I have more questions than just what well, one, why are you kind of, why are you watching this video instead of finishing the book? Right. Like wait till after to, how do you put it down to begin with? It just just stuff like that, you know. Uh, I'm doing great. Um, we announced, I think, in our last episode or two ago that uh, a lot of live stuff going on. I'm engaged now, and I've been doing a lot of wedding planning. So very exciting. But yeah. uh, I'm excited to be here, excited to be done with Rhythm of War. And we have a lot to talk about. Elliot? I think I'm still processing. I, I finished the book a solid four days ago now. And I'm still just having those moments as I go about my day. Like I reach for my coffee and I'm like, wait, but, but what? Like what? There are several things, several things that it drops on us before the end of the book that you're like, what? <laughs> so we'll, we'll get into each and every one of them before I ask for your two words, gentlemen. Oh man, there's a clip that I've waited a long, long time to share with you. Please join this watch together and we will en enjoy this clip. Oh, wow. Okay, we all look really different. Or Trevor looks really different. I do. I'm still in the same room. Okay, not too old. So for your Yeah. Uh for your context, this episode premiered on September 29th, 2021. So a little over a year ago. So we recorded this about mid-September. Okay, I wasn't going to bring up this theory because I thought it was too ridiculous and wouldn't ever happen. Um, but whenever we were talking about our Bond Smiths and how uh, there's three of them, there can be three of them, there's three shards of whatever the big word was, palinam, you know, three shards <laughs> of the palinam, um... <laughs> You know, odium, honor, and cultivation, or not honor, um, Stormfather. Anyways, my thought was like, who could bond odium? You know, and I was like, what if Taravangian went into one of these visions on his like most brilliant day ever? Just the best day ever, just, you know, and was able to bond odium. What then? You know, like what happens? And oh, wow. so I'm gonna just say that it's gonna somehow end up in Terevangian will bond odium. So I think that's really interesting because Elliot, you said the exact opposite of of that earlier this episode. Of on one side you had Terevangian, who is complete logic, no no emotion at all, and on the other side is odium incarnate emotion so it's interesting mm -hmm. that you go for that and, route 
Well, we definitely have seen our sprint person relationships be, be very polar or pulling or contrary with a lot of our characters, so... True. Could be. Alright, before... <laughs> I get your reactions. Let's talk about Rhythm of War. All right, Paul, your reaction to that clip and then your two words uh, after that. Go ahead. I Okay, the first thing that really stuck out to me, one... I um I, I was looking honestly first look I was looking at Elliot's face and I don't know what he was what was going through his head at all but in my, but me looking at him there I feel like he was just like what is what is this this is that's so dumb like that makes no sense <laughs> like this is really just a Paul like reaching trying to be ridiculous you know Shalana's light song you know thing no that one's real and yes, that is, of course. I understand. But the outlandishness of it, the earliness of it, he was like, oh, no way, right? Uh, and so I, I couldn't help but... <laughs> and honestly, I like I even prefaced, I was like, oh, this probably isn't much. This probably isn't much, but I'll just throw it out there. And uh, yeah, uh, well, I guess I can say I'm the... I, where I lack in trivia, I make up for in predictions. I'll just say that. Elliot, we we were so we were so close and we had no idea. Like, yes, talking about Terravenge embodying Odium like it's the craziest thing ever. But then I'm over there, ready to eat, to just discount that because, well, Terravenge is all logic and and Odium is all emotion. Where right smack in front of me, Terravenge is also all emotion, just not on the same day right. that he is all logic. So if we just made that one more, you know, jump, we would have been there a hundred percent of the pure emotion version of Teravangian could bond Odium, and he does bond Odium. And, and the does. the specific vocabulary that you guys are using here is is incorrect. You guys were you guys were considering this like a Dalinar True. Stormfather bond, which is mm -hmm. not what happens. Mm -hmm. But the. I will say the Rhythm of War discussion channel when you when this episode aired was going <laughs> nuts. They were all like, "Okay," and if you guys look at my face, I look so uncomfortable. I look really uncomfortable during this whole conversation because I'm like, "You're like, uh, uh, uh okay, okay. How how do I, I trans really... how do I transition through this?" Which I actually think I did a decent job you, you, throwing it back really to Elliot. Job. I was um, gonna say I noticed. I was curious to see what you'd say, and you're like. Well, Elliot thought yeah. <laughs> that maybe this wouldn't happen. Yeah, I and, and I thought that was funny. I think that is a normal for me that if I if I know something and I'm squirming, I'll throw it to some something else so mm -hmm. I don't have to. You you did a really good job. I'm honestly like, if I knew it and I was trying to hide it from someone else, like watching you do what you just did, like in that, I think you did a really good job. I wouldn't have thought anything of it if I obviously didn't think anything of it, but. Uh... All right. Well, I've been yeah. We we've been waiting a while to share that with you. But do you guys have two words to summarize one thirty? Uh, we'll go with Elliot first. I'm gonna sneak in a little article preposition. 
not quite sure what it is, in between my two words, but my two words are Clash of Titans. Okay. And Paul? Clash of Titans, that's pretty epic. I have Opportunistic and Desperation. Sounds good. Go ahead, and, go ahead and expand upon it right away, Paul. We don't have an intro to cut to again. Oh, that's that's right. That's right. I'm going to talk about opportunistic first. Um, I, f- I think this just kind of applies to a lot of the natures of our characters right now. Um, most notably, Teravangian. He is given the opportunity to kill Raze. I'm not going to say kill Odium because he doesn't actually kill Odium, but to Correct. kill Raze, the vessel of Odium. Um and he takes it kind of without hesitation. Um, uh, other ways that we see opportunis- opportunism um, well, is also on the side of Odium, like choosing to take Teravangian uh, like right away um, and things like that. So that, that's what mostly I was pointing out with opportunistic. Um, my other word is desperation. And I think that it kind of mostly applies with like... Dalinar and Odium's terms chapter. Um, I don't know if I can find the right word for it. Desperation doesn't entirely fit in my mind. But in that chapter, both desperately want winning terms, but legal terms and like fair terms, it feels like. Um, and I feel like there's almost this desperation of they both need an idealistic thing, but they can't get it. So they kind of they're kind of settling. It's a bit it's a bit rocky, and we'll unpack that more because I feel like that's going to be a bigger thing. But um, I was honestly struggling to come up with a second word. Something about trying to come up with a word to encapsulate these chapters is mildly difficult. Elliot, yours. There, there is so much going on in these chapters. I took copious amounts of notes for just these chapters. We won't get into all of it, but there's just so much that happened that. We mentioned at the beginning where I was just left saying what and had to go write a bunch of stuff down. But I did settle on Clash of Titans as my two words, just because we see some matchups of we see some pretty big matchups in these chapters. We got Dalinar versus Ishar. Mm-hmm. Champions, or at least the talking about it. We got a Navani versus Rabonio, which we've had a lot of that, but we kind of got the final scene of that. And then we also got Nightblood versus Odium. Yes. Which was, for me, that was like the Holy Grail scene that we, we had talked about this. What if? What if Nightblood could could show, could show up and, and go down against Odium? But I kind of set it aside as, yeah, that'll probably never happen. That'd be cool, but that'll probably never happen. And if it did, it would be like end of book five something. And so that completely caught me off guard when we just launch right into it here at the end of Rhythm of War. So that was super cool. I, I do agree. I think that was what I was expecting to see with the Contest of Champions. Um, But we got it right here, and that really yeah. shocked me. And I can just go straight into it. This chapter 111... This is not the Nightblood versus Odium scene, but it is Ishar versus Dalinar. There's several things that happen in this scene, which we'll dissect, no pun intended, further. Um, But the 
the distinction I want to draw here in this scene, Nightblood is used in this scene as well. It's when Ishar and Dalinar are having their duel, and Ishar is crazy, and he comes to the conclusion that Odium's champion, Dalinar, has bonded, corrupted the Stormfather, so he's going to sever Dalinar's bond with the Stormfather and take it for himself. And the way he can the way it's explained that he can do that is because Ishar has a connection with Dalinar because they're both bondsmiths. And the way it's saved is Zeth steps in and severs the connect the capital C connection between Ishar and Dalinar. Then fast forward two chapters further, I think that is what's happening between Rays and Odium. That Teravangian is using the is using the sword to split the connection between the vessel and the shard as opposed to specifically attacking the shard. I don't think it has that power. I just think it has the power to sever connections. Does that distinction make sense? And do you understand why I'm making it? I do understand that connect that what you're explaining, I think. But I thought in the scene where Teravangian like stabs Ray's it sounded like it just killed and absorbed the investiture that was in the vessel in Rays. It didn't sound like any like severing of a connection. It was just he died. Like ODM did not die, but Rays died. Right. There there's a line in that scene though that I latched onto, which was Teravigian stabs Rays. And Nightblood starts to drink in all of that power. But there's a line where the narrator says, but there was just too much power or something like that. And I kind of latched onto that as the answer to our question of, can you kill a shard with Nightblood? Right. It seemed like the answer was no, that Nightblood can drink in incredible amounts of power. But this example, I think it even... Mm-hmm. Even after that moment, it, it describes Nightblood as being like lethargic and mm-hmm. yeah, overfull. That this was we just found the limits. We just mm-hmm. found the limit of what Nightblood can consume, and it's not a shard. He can't take down at least Odium. Cannot right. take down all that is Odium. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, that is what I was getting at. There is the limitations of of Nightblood. We just at least began to understand what Nightblood's limitations are. We've been asking that question for a long time. Um, and so this this scene gives us a scope, a scale of what is possible here. Um, it still doesn't quite answer what Nightblood is. Right. We, we still haven't quite answered that question. And, is And everybody who sees it is like, what the heck is that? Everybody. Like right. Ishar, Odium, Raze, Odium, like yeah. everybody who sees it. Who you think has good like good knowledge of this type of thing? They're all like, "You have a what now?" Like, mm-hmm. so I, yeah. I don't know what what, what is Nightblood. This is, I think, this is the first rule we've gotten to put with Nightblood, and it is cannot entirely eat a shard of Adonalsium. Right. Like, wow. Okay, uh, that's a, <laughs> that's one rule. Like, yeah. <laughs> everything else is still on the table, but yeah, everyone, everything else is still pretty pretty chilling so far you know and i mean still on the table is 
is Nightblood a shard right. or multiple shards? We had that discussion a long time ago. Halfway through yeah, this with book. the epilo- epigraph. epigraphs. Yep. Um, yeah, that seemed to hint at maybe Nightblood yeah. and shard could inhabit the same sentence. So is he anti-investiture? Is he a shard? I, we still don't know, but we know he can't completely mm-hmm. destroy Odium. Do you want to hear my big prediction about uh, Nightblood and what he is? Oh, I feel like I'm already. on a roll with predictions right now. He's so an I'm anti-shard. Throw him out there. Go ahead. Um, so whenever we read that, it talked about there being two shards. And, and we talked about it, and I know there was a lot of deterrence from this Nightblood is two shards or a shard of Adonauseum, right? And that's probably right and fine. But we've seen, I'm actually thinking of our secret project three or the one that we read. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So if if you haven't, if you haven't read that, I'm going to briefly mention it. And honestly, I don't know if that many spoilers from the story will be applicable in this, but, and they could be wrong, but, and no, actually, yeah, I'll go ahead and just say spoilers for that as a premise. Um, in that, from what I understand, which this is going to get rocky, I don't remember the details that clearly. Um, it seemed like maybe a shard, that, like, um, is if there was a shard there, like one is like broken and one is present or something like that. Okay. Basically, something like that. And so I'm thinking of like the counterbalance between the two. It seemed like a back and forth, a give and take. And I'm wondering if if Nightblood is two shards, what if they're like broken and inverses of each other where it's creating this like the energy isn't like an emission, it's like an an enveloping absorption. Like, like it's 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 like collapsing on itself, if that makes sense, and like absorbing things perpetually. Which if that were the case, I would assume that it could eat odium. Right. Um if that is the case, I assume like a black hole almost. Um, and so in my head, that makes logical sense of why no, Nightblood is the way he is. But I, can't, I definitely obviously can't say too much more than that. Like, I can't actually guess much more confident than that. But that's just my only thought of maybe what he is. is some kind of like collapsed um, shard, not like a, a full living shard. Okay. I wonder once we get Secret Project 3 fully if we'll have more answers on what exactly is happening in that story Um, but until then I mean all you can do is guess but yeah it's an interesting guess Um, let's back up to Dalinar versus Ishar for a second and let's I want to set the scene real quick why is Dalinar here? learn from Ishar to learn about his bondsmith powers. Okay. Why Ishar specifically? He's the herald of the bondsmiths and therefore knows it all. In theory, right? Mm-hmm. He knows how to use the powers, knows of the bondsmith powers. Why... In Dalinar's mind, why does why is Ishar the only option? He doesn't he doesn't know of anyone else. Right? Right, it's the only <clears throat> The only one, the only other bondsmith out there that he knows of when he left. Okay, now let me pose the question to you two. Is there someone else who has trained with the Honor Blades 
and knows all ten surges. It's Zeth's father. Zeth's father and Zeth himself have has trained with all ten surges. He said so himself. Now, question for you. Why doesn't Zeth speak up about this? Because it's book four, not book five. Okay. The meta answer. <laughs> Elliot? Yeah. I, I've kind of thrown... I've, I'm starting. This, this didn't used to be the case, but it is now. I'm starting to throw logic out the window when it comes to Zeth. Okay. He does things that make sense in his mind uh-huh. that don't make sense to others. So... Does it make sense to you and I for him to chime in and be like, oh, yeah, you want to know about Honor Blades? Well, I've done that. It's Zeth. So I could think of any kind of, you know, spiritual reasons he might be having for, you know, oh, that was a protected secret. I don't just go sharing that around with people. Or I think there's a big difference between wielding the Honor Blade and being of that order. Sure. We've talked about that before, where the Honor Blades are a little bit of a cheat. You get the powers without the, you know, checks and balances. So, right. Yes. Zeth has done the surges of the stone shaping and the sticking stuff to other stuff. Does that give him knowledge of what it actually means to be a bondsmith? Eh, maybe. Right. Okay. I'm decently satisfied. That was a genuine question, by the way. I'm decently satisfied mm-hmm. with that answer. Um, I had never thought about this until like an hour ago. Ranks put in our Discord. Why does Zeth not speak up? He has this knowledge. And Ranks went the other way with it of he's deliberately withholding information from Dalinar for some reason that will will be revealed in book five. Um, And I'm not sure if it's quite that deliberate. Um, I might be on the same page as you, Elliot, where he's just like, he never asked. Why would I like, (laughs) why would I go out of my way to do that when he never asked me? So, that that is that is a Zeth type thing to do of just to say, I don't know, I I never thought about it, but yeah, I don't I. Ishar went and stole his blade after Zeth practiced with them, so that would imply that Zeth has held this blade that he sees before his father's blade and trained with it, which would give him insights at least a little bit on bondsmith powers so i don't know i'd be very curious to know if does just picking up the bondsmith honor blade give you powers like opening perpendicularities right my first thought would be maybe no that just picking up that blade may just give you access to the surges of that order bondsmith seems to be a little different it's it seems like you start to tap into this yeah manipulation of connections and perpendicularities and whatever else is going on, I'm not convinced a, even if you've trained with it, that just a apprentice, a novice with the honor blade is going to be able to do that kind of stuff. That also raises the question, when you pick up an honor blade, what level do you get immediately? Like, right. Yeah. You can pick up Yezrin's blade and you can start lashing. Like that makes sense to me. Can you pick up, you know, like a light weaver blade and start making black holes? Like, like what's the, what ideal do you get by just picking up an honor blade automatically? Like, I don't know. Yeah. And Zeth doesn't use shard plate, for example, with 
his Yezrin blade when he has it in the early books. So I don't know. Yeah, I I I think I'm I think I would agree with Elliot on what he said is you probably get access to the surges. And we also know that the surges aren't as powerful as the actual radiant ones, right? Like they're they're a little bit supp- suppressed. Right. Um just because there's not like a natural like a Nile bond. Um that's a word I haven't said in a little while. Yes. Um <clears throat> And so I'm kind of assuming it's that and it's just like you pick up the blade you can use the surges. You can use regrowth or illumination or whatever, you know, uh, but not like shard plate, you know, or maybe perpendicularities. Bondsmiths are complicated. The others make sense. I'm like, yeah, right. if you pick up the skybreaker sword, you can fly and you can use the destruction thing. Like that logically makes sense. Right. But yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about Ishar. Let us dissect the whole scene of Ishar. Dalinar shows up. They they have a little fight. Ishar thinks he's the champion of Odium, and this is the contest of champions. He's finally arrived to fight Ishar, and Ishar calls himself God Rejoined. That like Adonalsium re rejoined. He is the sixteen shards re reincarnate, and that is who he has become. Uh, yeah, I had to pause on that yeah. and, and like reframe my my thought of he's not even he's not even just claiming to be a shard. He's not even nope. claiming to be he's like not, honor. He's not saying he's he, honor. Nope. He's going all the way to the top and saying, I'm all the shards. They're like, uh, okay, dude. Okay. I mean like, well then who's that at Ray's? Like at Odium or any of the others? Like Well yeah, and then he's like, I'm fighting Odium's champion, like, well, if you're all 16, why is Odium even here? You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. He's clearly lost yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Elliot, you had a you had a scale of 1 to 10 of coherent um, heralds when we found them. Shalash being, like, you know, 8 or so, and Talon being a 1. Ishar's, like, a 1.1. Like, he's barely well, more coherent than Talon. I want to claim at least a little bit of success in my prediction mm-hmm. from a little earlier and that he's coherent, but has lost like reasoning. Right. Mm-hmm. He, he can like... speak a full sentence and understand everything. Well, maybe understand everything <laughs> you're saying, but Dramatically. He's, he's, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> but he, the, the logic or reasoning part of his brain is mm-hmm. is gone or broken and that he's going to make these incredibly erratic jumps in thinking at least that was my take on it yeah yeah i i agree it's he wasn't completely void of of into like tom maybe but right I've, i thought of him like maybe a step right below nail of like nail can speak and do things but there's like a logical click missing like He's not quite working on the right codes, I guess, and, or things like that. And I felt similarly with Ishar. And I think Nails is, like, one key part is missing, and so his whole thing is... Right. I think Ishar's is, like, six or seven key things yep. are missing, and so he's They're way really over big here. things. Right. He like, thinks he is Adonalsium remade. Right. Um, and that's kind of a bigger thing than, I think, the... It's right to follow the void bringers or whatever nail was saying right. once we last saw him. I, I immediately latched onto 
a personality comparison to a different fictional character with Ishar that has really stuck with me the more I've thought about it. And I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a Star Wars reference again. Okay. Hopefully that's not lost on too many people, but, or too much of a spoiler. Go watch Rogue One. We've seen, we've said this already. In Rogue One, Star Wars Rogue One, there's a, a rebel character who the hero heroes go and talk to, and they realize that, yeah, he's a good guy, but he's a little broken. And that character is Saw Guerrera. And just like the way that he talks and just this like, you can tell it's not all there. Right. Or like every, you, you tell, you spell out for him, dude, this, this doesn't make sense. I can't be the, the champion of Odium. And he just responds with lies, more lies. Yes. And just like the, I don't know, personalities seem to fit. If you've, if you know what I'm referencing, hopefully it makes sense. Best Star Wars movie, by the way. Disagree, but not a not a topic for now. So when they dispose of well, when they avoid Ishar and his his fight, Ishar runs away through his perpendicularity. He has the sword. Uh, Zeth freaks out. They um, initially they fly away, and then Dalinar's like, "Well, wait a minute. Let's go back real quick. Fly back," and they walk into this huge tent that Ishar was standing in front of. And there's like, I don't know, 20, 30 bodies under blankets, like a like a lab situation going on. And at first, they don't really understand what it is until they find, what is it, a cryptic that they find? That, and, then they, and then it clicks for them that these are all physical incarnate dead spren that have been... Sir, sir, what's the word I'm looking for? I want to say lobotomized, but that's not the correct verb. Uh, whatever. Had surgery on. Um, they're they're cutting up dead spren, and well, m- more than that though, they're they're cutting up dead spren, but then they're also creating these spren in the physical realm. Yeah, they are. They've found some kind of a process to pull a spren from the cognitive realm into the physical realm and get them to stick in a physical body. Right. But it's not working super well that they pick up the notes and they're like, Oh, this one survived 15 minutes, which is way better than all the rest of them progress. Right. Like, Oh oh dear. That just got creepy fast. Oh yeah. Yeah. I thought, go ahead. This reminded me, it made me think back uh, to the process of manifesting. We, we've, we've seen examples before of what I'm almost thinking of as the inverse of this process, which is if you're in the cognitive realm, you can pull things from the physical realm into the cognitive realm. Right. They do this with water. Water in Dawn Shard. They do this with... Somebody else does this at some point. They f- they feed the humans on Honor's Path, the ship, um, in Oathbringer. Um, what's his face? The captain. Yeah. Sorry, I forget his name. He's awesome. Um, they pull food from mm-hmm. the physical realm for them. And so that's a that's a process of like transferring an entity from one to the other. 
but this is a little different where you're, you're taking a cognitive being and making it not, not connecting it or bonding it to a physical being. You're creating it as a physical being in the physical realm, which surprise, surprise doesn't work very well. You want a quick theory real quick, please. That first spren that they find is a what? Honor spren. Honor spren. I think it's Raya. No, they give it a name. Oh. Right. Oh, um, that's Leshwee's. Leshwee's old honor spren. Do they they name it? Yeah, the Stormfather recognizes it. Oh. Oh. Okay. Never mind. And then. says and says, "Oh, that's that's so and so. I knew him." Oh. Okay. Never mind then. I believe you. Good. Good theory. Or there there could be other people under blankets, and one of them is this Leshwe Spren, which could have some interesting implications. But I think, if I remember right, in that scene, it can't be this one. Okay. Yeah. Anything else from this scene? Nothing other than that's creepy. I said it once, but it's worth saying again. I I was ready. I was ready for crazy Ishar. I wasn't ready for like horror movie Ishar. Right. That this guy's now. Now I, I was ready for resistance. I was ready for like a nail type. This seems different. This is now into a, okay, we need to stop this guy sort of thing which shifts my perspective a bit going into the next book i think yeah yeah i I won't dive into this now but it makes me really curious for kaladin's upcoming storyline <laughs> into yes. like going into book five um i won't talk about that more than that right now but um one thing i did find before we move on too far i guess this is kind of the next step in our little storyline here is i i am I feel like I'm a big Zeth watcher. You know, Zeth has been one of my favorite characters by far throughout this entire series with very limited word count time, you know. And he sees Ishar's shard blade and starts to, like, pit. He he reacts way stronger than other times. I feel like we see him react. Excuse me. I feel like it's almost... The similar reaction I'm thinking of is whenever he realizes that Kaladin is a surge binder right. back in Words of Radiance. If he kind of like loses it because his world kind of is collapsing on him a little bit and he starts to freak out. Uh, he sees Ishar has what he thought was his dad's sword. Uh, the, the, the. Bondsmith. Bondsmith. I do. I always want to say Dawn Shard <laughs> every time. The Bondsmith. Honor blade. There's too many terms. Oh my goodness. There okay. are a lot um, of terms at this point. <laughs> a lot. There are so many. He has the Bondsmith Honor Blade, which he last knew his dad had. And as far as he knows, I believe from this part of the chapter, he's like, my dad should still have it. My right. father should still have this sword. So where is he? What did you do with him? How did you get this sword? And he starts kind of like panicking about it. And uh, I thought we were going to just have like a full blown fight. Honestly, while I was reading this, I thought Zeth was going to like storm and try to kill Ishar just like outright. Um, But that's not exactly what happened. Ishar does claim that he didn't kill 
his father. But Taravangian has mused to himself before that he's told Zeth that his father's still alive, but Taravangian thinks his father is dead. This is but this is pre Todium Taravangian. By the way, that's that's a that's a term for you. We the the fandom have have coined the term Todium for the new vessel of Odium, Taravangian, Odium. Yeah, anyway. Odium. Oh, yes, Todium. It. That's cool. So, so any spoiler talk you see for Rhythm of War, there's a little frog emoji, and everybody knows what you're talking about. So, oh, Toady, oh my god, there you go. Okay. Anyway, so is I should know his his name. Is that father uh, alive or is he dead? I don't know. I think he's alive. I think he's dead. There's another. Ishar says that at first. He's like, oh, I, I just he he gave it to me. But then later, there's a very heavy hint that yeah, that might not have been how that exactly went down. Right. So I, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I'm fully expecting Zeth's father to be dead. Yeah. At the hands of Ishar. Yeah. And there's an interesting comment in here too. Zeth. Ishar says something along the lines of, well, the Shin were just doing their job. They were holding the honor blades for us until we returned to claim them. And Zeth breaks out and says, no, no, that's not the case at all. They were not intending to give them back. Right. Kind of hinting at maybe there's a, like the Shin were pretending they that that's what they were doing, that they were going to say, oh yeah, we'll watch over these honor blades and we'll give them back to you when you're ready with no intention to do that. I, I kind of, I looked at that as maybe a little bit of insight to the Shin people, which seems like we're going to have a lot more of that coming our way in the next book. So I, I've been keen in on as much of that as I can. Yeah. Good stuff. Anything else? Uh, Nightblood nicks the honor blade. Takes a, takes a cut out of it. So that's cool. Another one of those, you know, what if questions I feel like we've thrown out way in the past of if Nightblood went up against an honor blade, who wins? Well, Nightblood, apparently. I assume if he can nick it, that implies if enough time and effort, he could break an honor blade, right? That's how I take that. What happens if you break an honor blade? Yeah, that's a great. Even further, you could. A stronger verb you could use is maybe even consume. And what happens then? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And that all it all goes back to the what is Nightblood? Is mm-hmm. is Nightblood anti-investiture in that it's gonna destroy what it's consuming? Or is it a shard that's gonna like absorb what it's consuming also- and, and draw it into itself? Yeah. Also, really undervalued MVP of our entire story so far is his sheath. Don't know how he does it, but like he basically <laughs> keeps everyone from dying all the time. So, True. huge respect. Don't know what it's made of, but most lives saved. Does Warbreaker mm-hmm. tell us what it's made of? I think it does. Uh, if it does, then I don't think it's anything outlandish. I think it's like yeah. a steel thing. I think it's like aluminum or like, something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'll, 
our comments. I, I just assumed they're a package deal and were made together. Like that right. sheath was made to hold them at bay somehow, you know? Yeah. But all right, the you should draw me. You should draw me. All right. The rest of this chapter, um, it's kind of sprinkled all around. We get a Relane chapter. We're trying to they're trying to escape out the oath gates before the rest of the fused in the tower come and kill them all. And they they get surrounded because they don't actually have a shard blade to activate the oath gates. And then battle kind of starts sort of. It doesn't get too far before Kaladin sweeps in and saves the day. But uh Relane and Venli have a talk about uh, their spren. And Venli says, oh, Timber says you're already spoken for. And Relaine says, what? And then out of nowhere, there's these, there's this corrupt... Well, actually, it's not out of nowhere. This corrupted... Uh, cor corrupted mist spren, which is a truth watcher spren, shows up to him and says... I've been watching you for a long time. I was sent by Renarin. Um, Renarin was telling Jean not about you. So I've been watching you for a long time and say the words and do not despair. So he is now also a truth watcher with a corrupted honor, with a corrupted misfriend. Pretty much the same exact thing as Renarin. I, I thought the you're already spoken for bit was. It's like super sweet. It's like a like a tender moment almost because we know Relaine has been seeking a relationship like that, a bond for a long time, and he's yeah. been fairly hurt that he hasn't been able to attain that. And then here in this moment, it's like, oh well, you're already spoken for. Oh, Relaine. Yeah, I I agree. Yeah, it, it was it it is actually really sweet and like. Honestly, just the wording of that is so tender. Like, yeah, they're kind of in like a battlefield, it, it, at least in my mind. And and it's just like, oh, sorry, I can't. Relaine, you're spoken for. You know, <laughs> just like very cute and sweet. Um, and, and I'm really happy to see that Renard or that Relaine is bonded now. Um, that he was one of our few characters that wasn't really accounted for with that. And unlike Adolin, it seemed really direct that he wa would be once we saw this notion of like, oh, these friends didn't want to bond him because he was Parshendi or things right. like that. Um, but I'm happy. I I'm actually curious to know. I guess I can ask both of you. Normally I'm like, oh, Elliot, what do you think? Because I didn't know, think I could ask Trevor, but I can ask Trevor. What do y'all think about him being a truth watcher? I think it's awesome, but... I was mildly disappointed because I feel like we I feel like there is still more I want to see from other orders. I have no problem with him being a truth watcher. I'm a little bit suspect of that seems just seems kind of out of nowhere that it he's a truth watcher because at first we thought oh he's going to be a windrunner like the rest of Bridge 4. Oh, he's actually going to be a bondsmith. That's way cooler. Uh, no, he's just going to, like, he's going to be a truth watcher with Renarin. Like, okay, I, I understand the the steps there, but I don't know if Relaine really fits a truth watcher. Mm-hmm. 
I follow all that logic, but I guess I'm firmly in the in Renar and I trust camp. Sure. Like as soon as it's it Renarin sent me, okay, boom, I'm all in. Renarin, you know, it's got the whole see the future thing. He so far has had of more than anyone very honest intentions with everything he's done. And so if Renarin sees a reason why Relaine needs to be a truth watcher, I'll back that 100%. Mm-hmm. I, I will also add, I think our corrupted, specifically our corrupted Misprin Radiance, only notably Renarin, obviously, like that's the only example I have, but that seems to be remarkably valuable. Right. Against Odium. Like, invaluably valuable against Odium. So, like, I cannot complain at all. And we're definitely at the point where we can't be like, oh, I kind of want them to be this radiant because they have cool powers and I want to see them, you know? Um, whenever we have Odium to defeat and we could probably use a little bit of extra uh, help. Um, I think... I think Relaine would make a really good stone ward personally i think he's very consistent and very persistent on nobody wants me for who i am but i'm not going to change that which he kind of muses this is kind of spoilers for the next episode but he kind of muses to himself that i'm really glad that this spread took me for who i am because of who i am and i don't know if that super fits truth watcher but it's not it doesn't have to be a one-to-one so i'm fine like uh, this is not a complaint by any means but Mm -hmm. i would have like paul you were saying i would love to see other orders um but truth watchers truth watchers fine uh does navani kill raboni on this chapter or is that later i think so I think that's uh, this chapter. Uh, she kills her in one. No, 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 no. You're you're right. Sorry. Uh, Navani and the sibling in this chapter are cleansing the tower of void light of all of the corruption. They're creating tower light by themselves, and they turn the tower back on. Um, as we hypothesized way back when we discovered the the tower, and um. Yeah, that's about it. What do you guys think of? Uh, we we can talk about one thirteen as well. Uh, Navani goes back into the hallway. Actually, she's walking right past Raboniel, and Raboniel is still alive somehow. And she says, "Can you can you fully kill me, please? Because if I come back like this, I'm just going to be insane, and I don't want to do that. Just kill me." So she does. What do you guys think of Raboniel's exit? It fit their relationship pretty well. I'm not usually a fan of the the mercy killings in when they show up, but this one I I mean I don't know. That they, they were they were frenemies to the end for sure. Right. And so to to do her one last favor by finally defeating her seems appropriate to kind of the storyline they had together. So interesting that Raboniels supported her so hard in the last minutes. Yeah. Of not only all out attacking Moash to save her, but also like verbally kind of backing her up here and saying, no, you need to go and win this. That, I don't know. Raboniels stabbed me in the back. 
enough times now that I, I still don't trust this. I think. Yeah. So I, I, for one, I think frenemies is the perfect way to describe the relationship. And I hadn't thought of that. They were 100% friends and enemies at the same time. They like knew it and they, it was just unspoken between them. Um, I I will say also, I, I'm not a fan of mercy killings. Like I, but in my head, this felt more like Navani was freeing her Raboniel from like a cycle, like like a never ending cycle of coming back and being like used by Odium is what it sounded like to me. Yeah. Um. Whereas this is like releasing her from that. I almost think of like the King of the Dead in in Lord of the Rings of like I release you from your oath, like uh, which is not exactly what's happening here, but just like. She's kind of being put through this like endless cycle of that's actually I don't know what you what you want to call it, but that that's how I viewed this more so was like releasing her from a cycle like that. I didn't think about it that way, but that is really interesting of you could think about it exactly that way of Raboniel has died many times, yeah, probably, mm-hmm. and so you're absolutely right you're you're freeing her from what is perhaps seen could be seen as a you know un unholy or wrong process perhaps mm-hmm. of kind of being forced to come back from the dead so rather different i agree with you yeah and also uh, this i could be totally wrong on please correct me um doesn't raboniel share that her she has a she had a daughter who died, like, like died, died, right? Like, uh-huh. wasn't reincarnated. And so, in my head, I thought she was, like, excited, kind of excited to die, in the, like, she would see her daughter again. Yes. Way. Which was really heartbreaking. Um, but what the, these are, those are the two reasons why I'm like, okay, that is a just mercy killing, if there ever is one. Yeah. You know, it's very different from just, like, a a normal person like being like, I'm in so much pain, please kill me. And you kill, you know, it's very different right. from that. Um, uh, Kaladin got his plate. Did you guys, well, I guess that was the last episode too, but this episode as well. Um, Kaladin gets his plate and has a huge bridge four glyph on his, on his chest piece. Yes. Like Elliot's shirt there. And then his, brands have finally healed we talked about this last episode um in the two hour episode that we had um and so he he flies back up with his father and saves the tower fights them all off and he's have you guys ever do you guys remember the scene in iron man 3 where tony stark throws an Iron Man suit on Pepper Potts and like saves her like, and it like forms around her and he gets smashed against the wall and she's fine. But that's the whole scene I have here where Aiden, the, our little, um, I don't know, eight year old, nine year old, 12 year old, whatever. Um, little guy who's Kaladin is his idol, his hero. And Kaladin comes in and forms the, um, throws the plate onto him and it forms around him. The plate is made by the miner Spren, if that's the correct term. That there's like a major, yeah. There's the major, like the higher Spren, which is you know honor Spren, high Spren, mm-hmm. 
whatever, cryptics. And then there's the low spren that is, I would say, correlated, which in this case would be wind spren. Um, ranks has a whole thread on this. Like flame spren? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. But um, anyway, it's it's formed by the like thousands of little spren inter interlocking, which explains how shard plate is made like if you remember back to the way of kings original shard plate is described as like a bunch of little tiny pieces of armor fit together like and it forms to you anyway Calden has his shard plate any any comments i thought it was pretty cool both the shard plate itself and the fact that it can like the shard plate can fly around the battlefield and hop on this person and protect them and then hop on this person and protect them and then go back to Kaladin. And it was very wind runner esque. Yes. If you think about it. Yes. The whole protect everyone. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually curious because of that. Is that a wind runner unique feature or does do all the orders? Can their shard plate once they get to the fourth ideal do that? That's a good maybe question. They just, don't because windrunners are the only ones who care about protecting others. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I said a bad mental image of what Skybreaker uh plate would do on my battlefield. Ooh. It's like crush others or just thing, rip like people offense. apart. Division. Yeah, They've got the good. surge of division oh, yeah. flies around and just goes <laughs> <laughs> anyway. That'd be pretty brutal. You're right. Um This this makes way more sense than I gave it credit for. Of whenever we first saw our live shard blades with Kaladin, and how he could change it into anything. It wasn't just a rigid blade like our 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 normal shard blades are just you summon it and that is the way it is. Mm-hmm. It is this shard blade and it will always be this shard blade. But the like living one with Sil, he could make it into a spear, a shield, like what whatever. And that makes sense with the shard plate also being alive as well, being able to like move it and form it and put it on others and stuff like that. And that's really cool. That that's that's a, a real a much neater image. Yeah. Um. So that's pretty awesome. Uh. Last but not well, last and least, Moash has been <laughs> thoroughly defeated by Navani this time flies himself out of the tower, smashes into a mountain, and blinds himself. Moash is blind at the end of the book. Any words from Moash? I thought it was interesting how when the tower came back on, it blocked, I guess, his connection with Odium momentarily. And so all all that pain that Moash has so proudly given to Odium comes rushing back in, including his most recent act of killing Teft. Yep. And momentarily, it crushes him. He's he's feeling completely crushed by this pain, but there's a very telling line in there that says, Moash was sorry, but he wasn't sorry for what he'd done. He was just sorry that he had to feel the pain again. Yep. And that was that was very telling of where Moash is 
is at. We've talked recently about the, you know, is Moash redeemable? This was a very clear depiction of, of where exactly how far he is. He's not sorry for what he's done, even when he feels the pain, even when all those feelings come rushing in of what he, how he just mercilessly and brutally slaughtered Teft, he still doesn't, he still would not have done it differently. Yep. And I think that's going to be important later. I agree. He's not a a slave to Odium. He is running to right. Odium. Yes. Yeah. And even even with all the weight of the, the the emotions that he should feel, he still would have done what he did. Yep. I'm Our, very interested about the whole blindness thing. Yes. Which I take to be a consequence of Navani. I think it was directly from when Navani bonds the sibling and just unleashes this fury of light at him. I imagine just, yeah, this pillar of light just blasting out of the sibling and, and Navani and, you know, physically like throwing Moash out of the room. That light apparently blinded him. I'm curious how this is going to play into Moash's story going, going down. He's now blind. Is that going to hamper him in his activities to try and attack Kaladin? Like, how's this going to go? So what I just thought about that makes this a much bigger deal. And I didn't, I'm glad we're revisiting this because I didn't think about him being blind. And I was honestly like, why? Like, okay, yeah, that's something that hurts him. So maybe he would have to rethink things. You know, he, he can't see anymore. He probably can't fight like he used to because he can't see. You know, what? what's that mean for his character story? What's going to go on here? But something that's different is Odium is no longer Ray's. Yes. Odium is Teravangian. Yes. And I was just thinking this, like, what if he goes back? How is, how is Moash going to react when he sees that it's Teravangian? And not raise. Is that going to change things? What What's that going to mean? But is he going to know? If he can't see him, is he really going to know or be able to tell? It's <clears throat> a great question. The and the this gets into a little bit of next chapter, next episode. But that's a great question. Of is there? I'm assuming there is a physical difference in the manifestation of odium now once we talk about 113 and 114 and who's that going to mean something to because it's going to mean something to dalinar obviously dalinar is mm -hmm. certainly going to react um and we get foreshadowing that even in uh next episode and this episode and has he has he manifested himself to anyone else besides hoid which we can talk about this more next episode like i said but the epilogue Hoyd is completely unaware. So that's, I don't know. Yeah. And most probably... of our, ex... go ahead, Paul. Oh no, you go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to add another data point that we have of normally when people interact with Odium, people that aren't Dalinar anyway, it's more of a experience. It's, it's explained more as in like, the heat that they feel right. and the colors that they see and the power, the 
the all-consuming power and, and emotions. I'm thinking of Venley. Yeah. Venley has had experiences with odium like this. I don't think Venley would know there was any different because all that power, that's all still going to be there. That's all odium. Right. And so I, I think you're right. To most people, almost all of them, they're not going to know. I think the only person who's going to know or would know on Pawn Manifestation would be Dalinar. And the fact that Hoy... Well, I'll save it for next week. There's one other person I can think of. And it's Lyft. Oh, Lyft yeah. has seen Odium in one of those visions with Dalinar. Yep. So Lyft would know. You're right. Just a brief comment. I don't know what Lyft's role in our story is right now. It's a great question. I, everyone else, I make sense. I'm like, okay, I can't know what you're doing or what might happen or where your struggle stress points are. Lyft is just kind of hanging around. I don't know if she was just kind of like a way for us to get an early glimpse at like different lights or things like that. But she's the character that I'm like, okay. I don't know where your big story plot comes into play. Maybe that means she'll die and that'll be really sad. I hope that's not the case, but you know, I don't, I don't fully know what, what is in store for her. While we're talking about her, do you guys understand the full concept of what she is and the distinction between what she is and why she was able to be awake during the tower with everybody else? Like, do you understand the mechanics of lift? Oh, I'm assuming I, I don't. I don't think it's been rigidly explained to us. But my understanding is, she does not use stormlight. She uses life, life light. Life light. Yep. Yeah, life light, which she gets from food. I still don't entirely understand that, but she gets it from food, and so that's that's why she's not hampered. Is because. That's the tower shift shut down stormlight use. She doesn't use stormlight. To to say it to say it another way, she's a radiant, but she's somehow connected directly to cultivation. She's a cultivation radiant as opposed to right. a combo radiant. Correct. Right. Okay. And I was so gonna that... say I didn't I didn't know how she could use lifelight and be a radiant, but I guess those aren't Mutually, mutually exclusive. Which the distinction now, is not edge dancers are this because all the other edge dancers in the tower passed out. This is specific to lift. And it's not also not that all of her powers are separate because she couldn't use her, her awesomeness power. Yeah. As she calls it the, the friction manipulation yep she, she couldn't use that at all right Correct. when the power was on it was just her healing that she could do so she was somewhat affected yeah so raise and dalinar have a meeting we haven't seen raise slash Odium, the entire book. And he shows up to make 
a save the date. Paul, you, uh, last episode, you made this prediction and it came true the very next episode that they set a date for the contest of champions. 10 days from today was their date. And they set a whole bunch of terms, which we can go through if you guys want. Uh, and the implications of those terms, they, they kind of fully explain it in the book, though. I don't know how much real detail we need to go into, but they, we have a date for our contest and it is set for 10 days from now. I, I, I'm going to run with this a little bit, if you don't mind, Elliot. Um, well, just because one, I, I'm, this was a good week. This is a good episode for me in predictions. Yes. That's why I'm going to just keep throwing them out there because the, I, I was really actually kind of proud of this one because this one was way more intentional than the Terry Evangian one about a year ago. Um, I will say, I thought this was really cool, and I'm I'm really excited to dive into it with y'all. But I was shocked that I that it was right here, like right here. I thought it was going to be like a last sentence, like like last paragraph kind of thing of right. of the book. It, if in this book, I thought it might still be in pro uh, book five. Um, but I'm really excited. I have I do have a big prediction, but I want to hear y'all's thoughts first on on like later after the ten days kind of thing, like actually with the the uh, challenge. Elliot, you were talking about a little bit about this in the Discord today. Do you want to go ahead and then I'll talk about mine? I've had longer to yeah, think that, about mine than you have. That that was that was one of my two main thoughts coming after this. Okay, we've set a date. We're gonna do it. 10 days from now, I immediately thought I'm fully expecting, or at least before I started pushing thought into this, that the contest of champions is Sander Lanch book five. Yep. So my immediate thought was, well, wait a second. Does that mean the entirety of book five is 10 days? Maybe like I'm going to, I'm going to kind of set that as my baseline. That that's kind of my expectation now is that the entirety of that book is going to be the next 10 days. I think there's very clear, there's very definite possibilities that maybe that's not the case, but that that was my takeaway from that. I, I I'm going to go into my prediction now because it fits kind of nicely into this. I think the book will be longer than ten days, and I think my my prediction is I think Dalinar will lose the contest of champions. Okay, I think he's going to lose it, Man. and so the last thing. Pause, kind real, of added pause okay. real quick. Okay. I love current up-to-date predictions from you two. It is amazing. This is this is <laughs> what everybody is talking about. You guys are finally talking about it. Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking about that. Like I said earlier, whenever I was going to be like, Elliot, what do you think about this? Because I could only ask him those questions. Because for you, normally whenever I ask you, like, what do you think about this? You have to just be super oh, like, I don't know. Yes. Well, yeah, <laughs> I might have thought this, you know, but but I get to just like speak to you man to man. Mano y mano, you know. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> and uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I think Delinor is, I think Delinor is going to lose. And so the 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 one of the terms basically there's a whole lot of terms which we'll talk through it's kind of thrown out there then shifted and stuff like that but odium wants dalinar yes he does to be his emissary to the cosmere really big things there and honestly the trend throughout our books has been this like huge growth we start with kaladin uh as a slit like as a slave the, the the brands and the shattered planes and all this stuff 
and there's just so much going like like it's it's more like zoomed in that we just keep zooming further and further and further out and i think delanor is going to lose the contest of champions and he is going to be the emissary for odium to the cosmere but i think that is where he's going to have his big biggest impact um is on a cosmere scale platform i guess yeah um, almost in the same way i can almost envision something like adolin with the like spren in shades more in this book i have no idea what that means by the way for him <laughs> to be an emissary in the cosmere no idea what that entails and also if he is with odium i assume that there he is going to be like owned by odium you know like like under right. odium's command i guess it explicitly said it explicitly uses the term fused he will become a fused like yes and to me that implies void spren i'm shoving a gem heart into your chest like Uh visually you will be a fused is what Mm -hmm. i interpret that as oh i think this is the first time i'm having a real trevor moment because (laughs) i I actually have a really big comparison which I want to give from Mistborn. But I will I may send that in our like I'll do that some other time in the in our Discord. Um and f- for those of you who have read Mistborn Era 1, but I I don't know that it's it's a similarity. It's not like that crazy deep. But um but it is a big spoiler. But yeah, that basically that's my prediction is I think Delinar is going to lose the contest of champions. I think we will see that part two, part three of of the book. My only concern is if we do go to some form of my 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 apprehension towards that theory is if we do go to some form of Cosmere level story. Uh huh. You need a lot of pages to cover that. Absolutely. Which that will it's gonna be a big book, I'm sure. So so if that is the case, then in my head I'm like, for it to make sense, is that gonna be part one? If if that's the case, for my prediction to be true, is that gonna be part one and the rest of the book is untangling the cosmere? <laughs> so um all right, go ahead and finish your th- your slot. I have one yeah, brewing. In, in my my other reasoning for this prediction is we're gonna see Zeth go to Shinovar. Mm-hmm. And, and things like that. And I think for stuff that's going on, I think we're going to need more than 10 days in our story. So I think we're going to have more than 10 days because I think, and, and therefore I think Dalinar will lose. Um, not really why. I just think that would make it for like us as the readers being like, what the heck? Like he lost, like that's not supposed to happen. But then we see more stuff happen down the line. Okay. Here's the thing about everything you just said uh one my prediction is i agree with you that contest of champions is not sander lynch book five i i think you are supposed to i think you're supposed to properly assume that up until this point of like you know back when we started it what was beginning of oathbringer then you're like Mm -hmm. okay that's going to be the end of stormlight five big contest we define it got it we beat odium right good guys win odium yeah yeah, odium's (laughs) dead we we win got it but now i think and here's the here's the thing with the contest hoyd has specifically told dalinar raise 
will not misinterpret the contract. We're not fighting Rays anymore, though. And here's the problem. Teravangian, at the end of 114, is like, oh, I can get out of this. Or, oh, Dalinar can lose. And that's how you end, that is how you end Teravangian's point of view in the entire book. There's a way I can win. There's a way I can save them all, is the period. And the thing with the, the contest now is Dalinar is going to approach the contest in full faith that Odium will present, that Odium will also be there in full faith. He'll figure out that it's Teravangian pretty quick and be like, oh no. Teravangian is going to figure out a way. There's an asterisk here. I'll come back to it of how to get out of the contest because Teravangian's first thought once he becomes Odium is Cosmere. Zoom out, Cosmere. I want to see everything. Well, that's the problem with Odium, right? Is he's stuck on Roshar. And we have a con we have a contest that confines him to Roshar no matter the outcome, right? But if we somehow null the contract and Dalinar becomes an emissary to the whole Cosmere, then Teravangian and Dalinar can happily skip off to whatever system they want to and live happily ever after, right? You know, go on their little whatever. So, um, I don't know if Teravangian knows about the shard versus shard, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Con constraints? that Raze knows about because he's making this contract and he's not going to violate it because of the other shards and how it'll exploit him to other shards or that that's how it's explained to you. Mm -hmm. Teravangian's like, Oh, I can win. And then I can go to the rest of the Cosmere. Like he, he's not even considering the actual letter of the contract anymore of the, the contest anymore. So how is question for you? How is Teravangian going to win? Ooh, 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 ooh. This I was about to say this. I feel like I'm also cutting Elliot off. If he has something you really want go, to throw in, go, go, go ahead. Okay. So, one si slight side note: we know that we we were excited to see Dalinar show up with the Contest of Champions and defeat Odium with Teravangian watching. Yep. That is. That dynamic is totally crazy now. So he's going to show up and Teravangian will be there, but he is Odium. Anyways. Um, Dalinar even has that thought in one of these. He's like, oh man, Teravangian died. I don't get to show him that I was right. And yep. I just laughed when I read that. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, you wait, buddy. Yes, you, you wait. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. Thinking back to well, what I was going to actually say, though, thinking back to Oathbringer, I think like middle or maybe early Oathbringer, if I'm not mistaken, we have a really big like ethics conversation between Dalinar and Teravangian. Absolutely, I love about this. What do you, like what you know? What, what what was it with like you have five people or ten people? One of them is a a murderer or a thief. How do you? They all say they're not guilty. What do you do? Do you imprison them all? Do you? kill them all do you let them all free what do you do you know yep and they have this whole thing basically what i want to get at is teravangian knows 
Dalinar's code of ethics. He yep. knows his code of rules, what he lives by, and he is going to play him. Absolutely. I love Trevor, this whole dynamic. I love it. Tre- Trevor made this um, prediction before, and it seems more and more evident that it's going to be like a child. He's going to have his like ch- like a child as like an innocent child as like the champion. And Delinar also said, I didn't realize this until my second read through. In the chapter 112 terms, Delinar says he will be his own champion. He also sure he says explicitly says that. I think he says it to Nav- to Kaladin, I think later, but mm-hmm. he also says in the contract the contest is to the death. Dalinar says that. Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. makes that distinction, it will be to the death. Yes. And Odium's like, great. Now what? Yeah. Now what it happens is. when you pick Oridin, <laughs> Kaladin's little brother, you know? Like <sighs> Yeah, or or I was even thinking, what's the kid there that's Kaladin's biggest fanboy? You know, like we're getting some of these children put on the scene and I don't like it right now. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and and so that is that's got me concerned. That's got me really worried because Teravangian knows Dalinar like Absolutely. much more closely than than anyone else. Absolutely. So he's he's gonna do some scumbag thing like that, and it's gonna be so upsetting. I I can already see it. Dalinar's gonna think back to whenever he like he like in his flashback chapters, like very dark. He like killed a child, right? Didn't he? Um. And he's gonna be like, I can't live like that, you know. And uh, it's, oh, I'm already emotionally wrecked, and this is just a prediction. So uh, I would need to hand the mic over. <laughs> you you went down the exact path that that I was gonna go down. I had some of the same thoughts. You you spelled out even better than than I would have. I'll add one one clarification to what you and I'll I'll tie it into what you said, Trevor, as well. I think all of that. I think Teravangian knows Dalinar really well. He knows exactly Dalinar's decision-making process, and so he can leverage all of that. I think da- I think Teravangian, Todium, I think Todium, is not going to try to win. I think he's going to try to get Dalinar to break the contract. Mm, is yes. what's going to happen here? He he's not going. I don't think it's going to be. Odium wins and Odium and Dalinar go off and do their thing. I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to make Dalinar break it, and now Odium is free. Yep. So Dalinar will not end up serving Odium, but now Odium is re- unleashed on the Cosmere. Yep. I think that's the more likely mm. outcome. That's a really good one. That makes a lot of logistical sense in my mind of and like fits- page count things like that like yeah and it fits exactly with your scenario right he he puts an innocent child as his as his um champion and downer says well nope i'm not gonna kill that so i break the contract yep and that's the result absolutely i love i love Mm. everything about that i want to also little plug for my my moash theory I think we can maybe tie Moash into this as well, possibly. Instead of like an innocent whoever, maybe the the champion for Odium is Moash, but he comes out and tries to surrender to Dalinar (sighs) and says, I'm sorry for everything I did. Please forgive me and take me back. 
but it's a challenge to the and, death. And he does. So what does Dalinar do? Oh, his, man. his honor will want to accept that. He won't want to strike down Moash, although part of him will want to strike down Moash for everything he's done. That's the dilemma. Now what does Dalinar do? So our first prediction and with the child made me wait. preemptively sad. That made me preemptively mad. <laughs> and yep. his wife, Navani, is sitting right behind him. Who's yep. He's killed Elokar, and Navani is saying, just kill him. Just do yep. it. Every, you will be you will be justified. It is right. Yep. And then he will turn and say, it is not. I cannot do it. He is oh, surrendering yep. to me. Oh, my he'll, gosh. He'll quote something from Way of Kings <laughs> oh, and say, gosh. nope, I can't do it. <laughs> oh, man. Oh Either man! Way that goes, dude. Okay, the what makes this all so sad to me is like, Delinor is doing this, and he's just too honorable for his own good. Like, if he chose a champion, and they'd be fine. Too <laughs> like, honorable fine. for his own. That is that is Teravangian's line, right? That is mm-hmm. Teravangian's entire argument: is if you were just a little bit less honorable, you could save more people. Is Teravangian's argument. And yeah. Dalinar's like, no, I need to uphold these <laughs> principles, and whatever happens, happens. That is T- Dalinar's stance, and Teravangian, to prove him wrong, will be like, but you could do this, you could just kill him and save all of Roshar, but he won't do it. Now, now here's the stick in the spokes, though. I'm on I'm on board with it, all of this. I love how this pulls together all, all of our theories. I'm 99.9% on board. What I'm not sure about is Moash. I I can see the path of Moash getting to the I want forgiveness. I don't see that happening in 10 days. Mm-hmm. I think Moash is a long ways away from that point still because we just saw he, he doesn't feel bad that he just murdered Teft. He feels the pain, but he's not sorry. Is Can he get to redemption in 10 days? I'd be a little surprised. So how does Odium get Moash up on the the stand to try and surrender? That I'm not sure. But then we can just fall back on the put somebody innocent up there and Dalinar still is faced with a similar but not quite as epic dilemma. Oh boy. Oh boy is right. Oh my goodness. Are we missing anything? Oh, um, cultivation. Okay, so when Teravangian takes the shard, he's like, wow, there's so much power. Wow, wow, wow. Cultivation walks up in the cognitive realm or spiritual realm or wherever they are. Cultivation comes up and says, glad my plan went to, or went accordingly. What? (laughs) What? Yeah. I facepalm pretty hard when I read that one. Was like, okay. I think I can see what you did here. Teravangian, I'm trying to logic it all out, right? It's, things are getting really convoluted at this point. There, there's so many past events we have to reference here. Teravangian went to cultivation and said, "Give me the power to stop." I forget the exact words. Give me the ability to stop what is coming. That is what he asked for. So apparently cultivation takes that and says, oh, I see an opportunity. I'm going to put myself in in cultivation shoes. I'm I'm seeing her as saying, oh, here's someone who wants to do the right thing. 
I'm going to use you to get to Odium. I'm going to turn you into Odium so that you can not do terrible things. I'm going to take you a good person, turn you into Odium so you don't do terrible things. So she gives him this ability, this ability to have genius days where he can plan out everything that needs to happen to be able to contact Odium, have conversations with Odium, interact on that level. But on other days when he's going to need it, he is all emotions and no intellect because that is Odium in a sense. She needs someone who's going to be able to attract that being and that emotion back to the whole emotions attract the spread thing, perhaps of those emotions need to be able to connect with Odium at that level. So she gives him both. It happens. Teravanja becomes Odium. Now cultivation is like, Oh great. It worked. Now you can do this better. What she doesn't understand or what she's missed in all of this is the pure pragmatism that exists in Teravangian. Teravangian, even on his emotional days, is still back to the ethics conversation that he had with, with Dalinar. He is fully ready to sacrifice what he needs to to achieve what he thinks is the end. We can We can take this all the way back to journey before destination. Teravangian is about destination. He will do whatever it takes to get to the destination. Cultivation either didn't see this or didn't know this. Or doesn't care. Or is okay with this. Yeah. Like, I don't know. There's a lot about this. It's like either cultivation, you're fairly not smart for picking up on all this, not for missing all this, or... Yeah, you're ready to accept this, with, which, yikes. Either way, not a great idea. Not not a great idea. The last word that she uses when talking with Teravangian is, you can accomplish all of this with honor. Capital H, honor, is the, is the last word she uses, which is a really interesting choice of words for Teravangian. Yeah. You just turned him into odium and you tell him to act with honor. What? Yep. Anything else? I want to go back to the act. We've referenced it multiple times, but never actually kind of walked through it. I, I want to walk through the whole thing, but the scene where Zeth arrives to kill Teravangian. He comes storming in. Literally, the high storm is rolling in, and Zeth busts down the door to come murder Teravangian. I was completely wrong. And this is where I'm back to the whole, I don't know what I think about Zeth anymore, because I was firmly in the stance of, Zeth is not going to kill Teravangian. Right. I stated mm-hmm. it on this podcast that I did not think that would happen. I think I even what? I think I even baited you into saying it multiple times, <laughs> just mm-hmm. to just to put it on the record. You, you wanted that on the you record. Did ask us, yeah. And here it is, plain straightforward. No ifs, ands, or buts. Zeth has made up his mind, independent of anyone else, that Teravangian needs to die, and here he is to do the deed. And he, he thinks he does the deed. He even says it to himself. This is my decision. No one is manipulating me. I am killing Teravangian. Yeah. 
everything that you just said, he spells out to himself. I am not being manipulated. This is me thinking clearly. And now I'm back to the whole Zeth is a little further off his rocker than I thought. I thought Zeth was in a place of he's done terrible things. He's realized that he did terrible things for the wrong reasons. And he's ready to kind of accept what's my next path forward. I'm not sure that's the case anymore. I think Zeth is is much more caught up in his past than I thought. He's very affected by this revelation that his father is dead. Yeah. And it, sen- it seems to send him in a spiral. And the first casualty on that spiral is he intends it to be Teravangian. But very, very, very cool scene. Very cool scene, actually, where we get that event that we talked about before might happen, but I never thought it would, of Nightblood getting used on Odium, where Zeth comes in and Teravangian in that moment summons the courage. The, the description of it is, is powerful as well. We have a super emotional Teravangian. It's not smart Teravangian. It's the opposite. But he summons an emotion, if you will, courage. And bravery. in that, yeah. yes, bravery. And in that moment, he draws the sword, and everything kind of, and he's the one that that stabs Odium to try and take him down. Yeah, it, you almost, you almost want to say, "Good job, Teravangian." <laughs> like this. This is everything Teravangian was trying to do. This, If this had gone the way he thought, he could have used this as justification that I was right, that my way worked, that I sacrificed all these people to get my one chance to take down Odium. I orchestrated it to happen. I took action when I got the opportunity. It just didn't quite play out the way he thought it would. Yeah. It's, man, I don't even know what I think about it. It is this one singular piece, which, by the way, I had no clue this would happen. I did not think we would see Ray's die right now to the hands of the literal hands of Teravangian, not just because something he said or did, like by him picking up Nightblood and stabbing him. Did not see that coming at all. But the amount of implications that this has for our Contest of Champions, which we touched on a lot earlier, is just immense. Zeth as far as he knows, has killed Teravangian. As far as everyone knows, Teravangian is dead. Yep. And here he is, having killed Raze and becoming Odium. It's just wild. So, I finally get to share the question that I asked last year at Dragonsteel convention with you guys. I asked Brandon Sanderson, at the end of Oathbringer, Teravangian makes a pact with Odium that says, I surrender to you all of my abilities and I will serve you so long as you what? Remember? Like, is it spare? Uh... Carbronth? Yes. Yeah. Preserve my family and everyone in Carbronth. That is the pact he makes with Odium at the end of Oathbringer. Given the events of Rhythm of War, is that still relevant? 
is there any merit there? Does that matter anymore? I got a raffo for it, unfortunately. Not to spin us down a whole nother 30 minute conversation on this, but just to try and guess at a few things about that. I think it very well could be relevant because I think Odium, the being, is still going to be held to that. We've seen that contracts are very important right. to Odium, and I'm assuming shards in general. And breaking a contract seems to open up a weakness in that shard, right? exposing them to others. So I, I could see perhaps some sort of a scenario where Todium, it'd be in his interest to harm someone from Carbranth or his direct family. Parents. Oh. Ooh. And that's the... That was quick. Yes. I, I've had a long time to think about this. So <laughs> Kaladin... And, and the contract specifically says everyone who is from Carbranth lives in yep. Carbranth and their spouses. Not children. Yes. Because now we could get into a scenario where if all of that, if the contract is still in, in place, still valid, if he were to breach it, he could potentially open up this weakness that he's talked about fearing before. And yes, like what are some ways that could happen? I hadn't thought about them, but you bring up a perfectly relevant one. We've got some people in that category nearby. I also wonder if there's some random, oh, there's a herald that they have in Carbranth, right? One of the Teravangians, like, yeah, we have one of the heralds yeah. in Carbranth. I wonder if that has anything to do with it, if he's trying to maybe damage a herald for some reason. I don't know. Definitely possible. Anything else for the episode? Just one brief mention that I'm a little upset about. It's mentioned offhand. Okay. Just kind of in passing. In chapter 114, they're talking about Teft's burial, and they soul cast him into a statue, and apparently there's a room in Eurythiru where they have lots of, you know, radiance or, or others who have died, and they have memorials to them, which is really cool. And then there's a reference to, we're kind of reuniting with a few of the different Bridge 4 members. And then there's just this offhand mentioned, I think it's phrased like this. It says, all of the Bridge 4 members were there except Rock, who Kaladin would never be able to see again. Yeah. Period. And then it moves on. Well, like nothing else. It happened. I don't, maybe I'll get the actual quote for you. I don't think it's quite that definitive. It's from Kaladin's perspective, and I think it's more, and I guess I'll never see Rock again. But I don't know. Here's what it says. You might be right. All of Bridge 4 came, except for Rock. Scar and Drahi had relayed the news after returning to the Shattered Plains. It seemed Kaladin wouldn't be seeing Rock again. I took that to, I, I paired it with the Scar and Drahi had relayed the news 
Kaladin wouldn't be seeing Rock again. Which you could read it differently. Right. But I almost read that as... I, it doesn't say he's dead. It does not say he's dead. Right. But you could almost read it like that. As they brought the news back, that Kaladin would never see him again. Like he's dead. And, and it's one sentence. It's like, why? Where... where why can't we see Rock again? What has happened to him? We already knew something fishy was going down. He was really hesitant to go back because he was going to get punished or killed or something for the actions he took at the end of Oathbringer for killing Amaram to save Kaladin. Hope I remembered all that right. Yep. So now I'm even more worried that he's been executed by the Horn Eaters yeah. for breaching this whatever don't pick up weapons rule. I wonder if it has something to do with cultivation's perpendicularity, because um, that that's in the Horn Eater Peaks, right? But um, like he has to go to the cognitive realm for some I don't know. But the next Stormlight piece we get is titled Horn Eater. It's a novella that's coming before Stormlight Five. So there you go. That I'm really excited for that because me too i, I really want to see i miss rock a lot and i want to i really want to see the horn eater peaks like if there's anywhere in roshar that's the one place more than shinovar a lot more than shinovar actually yeah i would rather mm -hmm. see the horn eater peaks because we've gotten a lot of description of them and some vague references <laughs> i want to go there i want to see scenes at that place see their culture see what it's like i hope we get that in that novella I haven't gone back and watched it, but that episode that we did Rhythm of War without you guys, that was one of that was one of my main critiques of Rhythm of War. I mean, it was something I was pretty disappointed about at the time, and less disappointed this time because I knew it was gonna it wasn't happening. But I really really like Rock, and I was really disappointed that Rock was not in this book. But that was it. That was the only other nugget I wanted to hit. All right, uh, Paul, anything else? We covered a lot. We did. And this has been super. I think this was the most fun I've had personally, like recording one of our episodes, just like running nonstop the whole time. <clears throat> theories and getting to include, include Trevor into theories full stop is a lot yes, of fun. I will absolutely. Say. <laughs> <laughs> there's another um, big theory I've teased this before there's another big theory next episode that I get to share with you guys it's so uh -huh. great and I am vastly excited to talk about next episode so I have nothing else I will see y'all next week thanks for joining us or, guys unless, yeah I don't want to say goodbye see you later <laughs> <laughs>